1: Hey there, welcome back to the podcast, Women in the Middle. I'm your host, Susie Rosenstein, and I am so glad to be here with you again for this week's episode, which features another interview with someone who has some pretty interesting experiences to share with Women in the Middle. Today, we're talking about the importance of celebrating traditions in midlife. Now, every once in a while, I interview someone whose voice is a little deeper than my normal guests. And this week, it's another one of those unique interviews. This week, my very special guest is not a woman, but a man. And there's even a bit more to it than that. He's my uncle, specifically my Uncle Bob Schneeweiss. Uncle Bob and I have known each other for uh, about 30 years. He married my Aunt Jane. Therefore, he married into the Rosenstein family. And he did this like it seems like a million years ago. Now, I really wanted him to come on the podcast because of what I couldn't help but notice about him over the whole time that I've known him. And I was quite young when we first met. He is a sentimental guy, and he rocks at celebrating life with meaningful tradition. In fact, he has created all kinds of new traditions that help celebrate milestones big and small. And as a woman in the middle, I've started thinking a lot about the importance of celebrating traditions. I've noticed that sometimes we just keep up with traditions that are handed down to us, and sometimes we create new ones. Sometimes we get stuck with traditions too. (laughs) Whatever which way, traditions are super meaningful and important to most families, and a lot of the time, it's one of your unspoken roles as a midlife matriarch. So let me tell you a little bit about my uncle. Robert Schneeweiss, or as many of us know him, Bob, Is 76 years young and now retired from a long and distinguished career as the Director of Student Activities and Leadership Development at Central Connecticut State University in New Britain, Connecticut. He has a Master's of Education in College Student Personnel Administration and is a proud recipient of the ACUI Butt Whiting Award. Bob's career focused on aiding students to move towards self actualization. Student development theory believes that the university experience ought to be transformative and that planning for change is to aid the student toward that transformation. Student activities are a major vehicle for growth, and I can certainly see that with my three that are in university right now. So as you can tell with this background, it's not a huge surprise that Bob is a pretty creative and motivational guy, probably just the kind of guy who knows how to celebrate life. In retirement, Bob has settled in the Palm Springs area. He keeps pretty busy by getting involved with all kinds of volunteer gigs, everything from the Betty Ford Center to the BNP Paribas Open Tennis Tournament, and he's even a docent at the Palm Springs Art Museum. So there you have it. Bob Schneeweiss is the perfect person to help us all take a deep dive into the world of midlife traditions. I have a feeling you're going to be inspired to increase the celebrating going on in your life, too, with some new traditions. So enjoy this interview. Hi, Bob. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Women in the Middle podcast.
0: Oh, hi. (laughs) It's good to be with you, Susie, and all you folks out there in Podland.
1: Oh, awesome. So I just want to say how excited I am that you're joining us because you are Uncle Bob. (laughs) Yeah. And the reason I wanted you on the podcast today is because of this topic that I couldn't stop thinking about, which is really about the importance of celebrating traditions. And it turns out that you are an expert at the celebration of traditions. And when I talk about traditions, I'm really talking about the transition of traditions. So the way traditions are passed down and also the creation of new traditions, And so that's really why I wanted to talk to you today. Now, I know when I first mentioned it to you, you were like, what? I'm an expert in this? (laughs) And the answer is yes, I believe you are. Okay. (laughs) So Uncle Bob is coming to us from Palm Springs area, specifically Rancho Mirage. I've been corrected. I always just say Palm Springs, but it's not really that. And a little bit of background, Uncle Bob was married to my Aunt Jane. And my Aunt Jane is my father's sister. So I met Bob as, uh, I think, I think I was in high school when I met you. Was that it? College. College. Oh my gosh. All right. (laughs) What year did you get married?
0: Um, 1985.
1: You are correct. I was in college. It's all a blur. It is all a blur. So did you grow up being aware of how uh, much you cared about traditions?
0: You know, I I don't think I did. Um, My family certainly, looking back, my family certainly had traditions. And looking back, they were really meaningful. My grandmother would always come to our house on Friday night and prepare a Sabbath meal. My mother was working, and so we always sat down to a Sabbath meal that was created by a grandmother, and the meal was always, always the same. It was chicken soup, it was salad, uh, it was chicken soup, salad, chicken of some sort, or it might have been beef on occasion, and there was always some green vegetables. But it was always on friday night and my grandmother always lit sabbath candles on friday night and our family would gather around for that occasion. Oh, that's
1: beautiful. What I've really noticed in midlife is that this whole transition of tradition thing, it doesn't seem to be very planned in most cases. And many times, what I'm noticing because I of course I work mostly with women is that all of a sudden the matriarch of the family makes a change. And then the people, the women in the middle, are kind of left going, hey, what's happening here? (laughs) And, And if they're not on top of it, that tradition might just disappear. So what I've noticed, the most obvious one, is when the matriarch or the patriarch of the family decides that they no longer want to host large family gatherings. Usually because it's just a lot of work, you know. So the matriarchs are usually in their 70s, 80s, when they pass the torch. And so, what happened in our family was all of a sudden, my mother in law, you know, just wasn't interested in doing that anymore. The sister in laws, we picked up the slack for sure. But, you know, if you're not thoughtful about it, all of a sudden there's a special meal that's missing. And it's interesting that the first thing that you mentioned, one of your dear memories, was of your grandmother and making a special traditional meal. So, I find a lot of time these traditions do have to do with food. And then a lot of times the matriarchs will continue to bring the food that they just don't want to host the meal. Did that ever happen in your family where there was a bit of a shift?
0: Yeah, now that you say that, uh, it's so interesting that food becomes so central to this uh, part of our conversation. So uh, Jewish people celebrate the break, the fast after the end of services on Yom Kippur. And my mother would make, I think it was by by number, a hundred blinces. <laughs> okay. So these are like crepes that are filled with stuff and so forth. And uh, she would spend, I guess, days doing that. And then she would host this Break the Fast. And then all of a sudden... My sister started doing it, but my mother would supply the blintzes. And, and then when my mother got older, I guess, and didn't either have the interest or maybe the energy, I don't know, to make all the blintzes, Ellen, my sister, who is a great, uh, great cook, she now is the one who makes the blintzes and hosts the Break the Fast.
1: Yeah, it's kind of funny. I wonder how much they spoke about it—that transition of that tradition—or if it just kind of happened because it was obvious that it needed to happen. But I've certainly noticed that on both sides of the family, that some of the meals that are more difficult to make, uh, they just end up being purchased or stopped. And but then the you know the the gallery, the peanut gallery, the grandkids always make a fuss, and they you know they want certain things, and then then the the food tends to come back. But a lot of tradition is definitely around food. And I'm thinking specifically of the way my mom makes matzo balls and her mashed potatoes at Thanksgiving. And certainly those mashed potatoes, that's something I really missed when I came to Canada because I no longer went to Thanksgiving on a regular basis. Uh, it was often the, the weather was horrible and it wasn't worth it. But those mashed potatoes, they just don't make them like that up here. I don't know what it is. I think it's a lot of milk and cream. <laughs>
0: I can think about something that uh, has the ability to be a tradition that's reborn. When I was growing up, my grandmother made these cookies that I just was crazy about. And I grew up in the New York City metropolitan area, but I went to university in Florida. And my grandmother used to send me, this is so weird, Uh, (laughs) my grandmother used to send me a Crisco can. I don't even know if there's such a thing as a Crisco can any longer, filled with these cookies. And I would devour, they would come, by the way, when they arrived, they were mostly crumbs. (laughs) In the transit, they became crumbs. Anyhow, I, I would devour those cookies. And when I got married in 1965, she gave us the recipe, and I have to say that the recipe was never used, but I, re- I discovered it literally a few weeks ago in her handwriting.
1: I was just going to ask you that, because I think when you find a recipe in the actual handwriting of the person whose meal you enjoyed, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing.
0: Well, I think the cookies are going to be reborn.
1: I think so. And it's funny you mentioned that they were delivered to you in a can because my grandmother used to always do that too. She would send uh, cookies, brownies, whoopie pies, things like that in a Charlie Chips can. And I remember that very vividly now that you're talking about a can. (laughs) So that's pretty funny. So the other thing that can happen with the matriarchs um, is sometimes they can't attend a meal because they've started to travel. So we've noticed this too with some holidays when somebody's traveling or they become a snowbird and they're not around for some significant traditions, you're left with a table without grandparents because the grandparents are enjoying the warm weather. And <laughs> that's happened a few times. We got to a point where it's just so weird not to have grandparents there that we, we started inviting our friends' grandparents Um, they're our friend's parents, so that we had some grandparents at the table. (laughs) Another area that's, um, I, I find it's an easier one for families to carry on this tradition happens to be around vacation spots. So sometimes if there was something that you loved to do as a kid, it becomes important for you to carry on that tradition as an adult. And I know that I really enjoyed camping when I was a kid, and I have some very specific memories from camping in an old army tent in Assateague Island and seeing the wild horses and eating fresh crab for the first time when we were camping and having a high-low camper on one of those trips and camping with all my sisters and parents. And, you know, it was just a couple of years there where we did that activity, but I had such a sweet spot for it that when our kids were little, I was leading the charge on getting a pop-up tent trailer and making sure that we were able to share those uh, experiences with our kids, which was very different for my husband because he grew up with a family cottage, no need to camp. But, you know, that was one way that I had a really fond memory and made sure to carry it forward. And then another one that's kind of unusual, but it became very important to me around the time I turned 50 was the tradition of having a large dog. So when I think back on my childhood, the early years, like there were a lot of big bumps in my childhood, but the early years, or maybe it wasn't quite early, kind of the early middle, (laughs) there were a couple of very good years in there. And one of the strongest memories I had was the importance of large dogs. We bred St. Bernard's. And it was a huge part of our life. We did the whole dog show circuit and I was involved uh, showing one of the St. Bernards in a puppy class. And I just have this memory. You know, I have four sisters and we had a lot of St. Bernards and puppies and dog shows and all of this stuff was going on in my childhood. And as an adult, my husband and I had a golden retriever and then we had a second golden retriever. And then after that last golden died, Uh, it was just, I couldn't get another golden. They were just too sensitive a breed and my heart was just broken. So I thought, let's switch it up. And it was around the time of my 50th birthday and I couldn't stop thinking about those childhood memories because I was pretty much doing a walk down memory lane anyway with that milestone. So we came to the conclusion that a Newfoundland was the best solution for us (laughs) because of the cottage and the family and the water And having that large dog, he's a big giant mess, but it has been so much fun and it really does bring back a lot of memories. When I see my husband walking with him and and just getting so much joy and pride out of the training and everything, I have big flashbacks about my dad. So it's really interesting. I would have never figured that that dog would have, uh, that having that dog in my family and being kind of compelled to share that experience with my kids. I would have never anticipated that and one of the things that's been so fun with something you've done is that you have a poodle now in your life and the poodle is the very first dog I remember us having as a kid and your dog looks exactly like the dog we
0: had as a kid. Well, she's out of the house right now getting a haircut so she may not look that way later today.
1: Well, she's a chocolate poodle, the chocolate brown standard poodle. She's cute as a button. Did you have any tie to poodles? Like, why did you select a poodle?
0: Um, I selected a poodle because they're supposedly good for people who have asthma. They don't shed. They have hair. I wanted a, a larger animal, and a standard poodle gets pretty big, and they're supposed to be so smart. And to be quite honest, the last dog that I owned was a terror for his 13 years. We <laughs> never trained him very well. And so I figured if we had a bright poodle, maybe this individual who's not a great animal trainer and this bright poodle will meet somewhere in the center and we'll both <laughs> be So,
1: Is that what's uh, happened?
0: Uh, not quite. She, <laughs> she's smarter than I am, but... Not necessarily doing all that I wish he would.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was just tickled when you you chose that breed. So thanks very much for helping me remember a few more things from my childhood. I appreciate it. (laughs) Now, the main reason I wanted to have you as a guest today, though, was because of your specialty in starting new traditions, celebrating with tradition, and starting new traditions. And there are so many of them that I remember you doing. I want to start with the one that I was just blown away by, and it's something that I think uh, that any listener can also adopt. And it is the creation and review of the top 10 days of the year. Can you, oh, talk, can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so David Letterman is, uh, used to do the top 10 days, a uh, top 10 list every day, and uh, so I conceptualize that I wanted to do the top 10 days of the year. And so I have found that when I anticipate that a day might be a top 10 day, I do everything possible that day to amplify its power as a top 10 day. And my my goal is, is that at the end of the year, on New Year's Eve, I make a list. And I hope that the list is so long that I have difficulty in deciding what the top 10 days are. But the other part of this tradition is that after the list is created, I don't necessarily publish the list, but I do send notes to people saying they were part of one of the top ten days of the year, so i I include those people in making the list more meaningful.
1: And I have to tell you, I've been the recipient of a couple of those notes over the years, and it is so much fun to get a note like that, and to also just help remember what is going on in your life and celebrating joy. Yep. So I love that you track it. How do you track it throughout the year? Do you have a little notebook or just what do you do?
0: Uh, well, first of all, let me roll back just a, a, a bit. So I gave a toast at a, at a wedding about 18 years ago. Uh, maybe it's more than that now and And uh, I said to the bride and groom that today may be one of the top ten days of your life, but you know what? I hope it's not. I hope you have so many top ten days that your wedding day may remain significant, but having a holding a baby in your arms for the first time, or a walk on the beach uh, or a great lasagna you made or something that has caused you guys to laugh about it over and over and over again. You can't anticipate what those top 10 days of your life are going to be. And it may be your wedding day. And guess what? It may not.
1: That's so good that a top 10 day doesn't need to be something expensive and it doesn't need to be something crazy.
0: Nope, not at all. Uh, Susie, I forgot the question you asked me.
1: Oh, the question was, how do you actually track oh. the days during the year? Is it a journal, or what
0: do you do? No, I, honestly, I don't keep a journal with this. Uh, I, I want the list to be very organic. And so on New Year's Eve Day, that's when the list is created. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Uh, now, to be honest, you know, I'm aware since I, I – I make an effort to make a possible day, make the list, I'm, it, they stand out. There are, of course they do. Mm-hmm. But
1: still, I don't know, I, I think I would need a list. <laughs> so one of the new traditions that I started in my family here, the extended family, was the celebration of Hanukkah at the cousin level. So what was happening was uh, get-togethers with all the aunties and uncles, and it got big and it got a little weird. So I said, you know what? Let's just let's just lead and just make a Hanukkah party with the cousins. The cousins being the the forty and fifty year olds. And so that tradition really took off. And it's so funny that it uh, you know it, it's in my husband's family, but his. Cousins are particularly fun, so <laughs> I wanted to get that one going, and and that I think's been going now for about fifteen years. So I feel like I started a good one. Uh huh. The other one I wanted to ask you about, I think it also has to do with New Year's Eve. Has something to do with backgammon? Can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Oh no, it's not New Year's Eve. It, oh, my wife and I <clears throat> used to play backgammon for many years before we went to sleep. We'd actually, you know, move, move from the family room into the bedroom. And we had a backgammon board in the, in the bedroom. And we would play nightly. But we, when we traveled, huh, in New England, where we used to live, there was an ice cream chain, uh, Friendly's ice cream. And one of the things they would have was this sort of a malted drink and it was called a fribble. And so we, uh, we took a fribble cup and, uh, you know, those label making machines? <laughs> yeah. And we would use the cup as a trophy. And so when we went to Hawaii, there was the Hawaiian tur- tournament. And when we went to California, there was a, a-, a California tournament. And so over the years, uh, we played many tournaments. And, and whoever won it got their name on it. So, <laughs> the Fripple Cup, what can I tell you?
1: I remember it was on top of the fridge.
0: Yeah, it was. <laughs> and it's long since gone, I can tell you that. Too.
1: I just think it's super important to take the time to celebrate like this. Like things that aren't necessarily a big event, like a wedding or anything where you have to make a toast. And that's really, that's why when I've been observing you over the last few decades, I really noticed this. And one of the things you did recently really, I think, topped them all in terms of your uh, effort to celebrate a significant milestone. And this one really only affected you. And it was the 50th graduation anniversary from University of Miami. What did you do?
0: (laughs) Well, I guess we need to tell your listeners that my career was in higher education, and I was the director of student activities and leadership development at two universities: the University of Tennessee in Knoxville, and then Central Connecticut State University for thirty-one years. And so i i have I have a background in planning events including a senior week, a series of events which would celebrate the end of a university career. So my 50th anniversary of when I graduated from the University of Miami, I wasn't going to Miami. So I decided I would throw for myself a senior week. and <laughs> Pretty crazy.
1: Me, myself, and I. <laughs>
0: So I dug out my senior ring that I hadn't worn probably in 40 years, and I wore it that week. I ordered all sorts of tchotchkes (laughs) (laughs) from the university, pom-poms and and banners and stuff like that. And uh, each day we did something to celebrate the anniversary of my graduation. My Bachelor's degree. And the actual anniversary, which was a Saturday night, I invited friends to my home for a pizza and beer blast. And we had a keg of beer here. <laughs> and uh, it was it was fun. It was
1: fun.: That's great. That's great. i I love that you pulled out your photos from that time period. That was really fun to see.
0: Oh, yes. Uh, A much slimmer Robert.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So the other thing I wanted to talk to you about, um, again, because you really are very sensitive, very creative, and I just have no problem embracing the meaning of certain events. And, you know, your wife, my Aunt Jane, passed recently. And I have been very impressed and touched by some of the things that you've done and created to help keep her memory alive and to continue to feel close even though she's gone. Would you mind sharing some of that? Because so many people who are missing a loved one just don't know what to do. And I just love what you've been able to do.
0: Well, let me preface this if my voice cracks (coughs) is because. This is uh, so, so close to me. Um, let me first say that uh, I am not filled with sorrow, but I'm filled with gratitude. And I really mean that. Jane and I spent 33 years together, and uh, it was all that I think either of us would have wanted it to be. So the last... Jane had a lot of health problems, but uh, they accelerated. And literally, between a Saturday and a Thursday, she pole vaulted uh, to the end of her life. And so there she was in hospice and not necessarily awake, but I sensed that, and I had heard that people here. Even though they might not respond, and so uh, one day I brought uh, it was on Tuesday. I brought my iPad in, and I shared with her pictures of of things we had done together, people we knew, and so forth. And I got to one picture that was of Jane in our swimming pool, holding our granddaughter who at the time had been about three or four, and I described it to her. And all of a sudden, there she was. She was moving. Jane was moving and making sounds. Wow. Wow, yeah. And then the next day, Thursday, Wednesday, she and I had had a loud discussion about a bottle of wine that she had bought. And uh, I thought it was too expensive. Uh, and uh, I always thought things were too expensive, (laughs) and she didn't. Uh, And we promised we were going to someday share the wine on a special occasion, and I brought the bottle of wine into the hospice. I opened it. I put some of the wine on a cotton swab, and I rubbed it on her, her lips, and on her gums. And I toasted our life together. I think if she was aware of that, she would have definitely approved. I think so. So she passed away on Thursday. And I it's now almost, I think it's 20 months. And I sleep in the same bed that the two of us slept in. And every night before I go to sleep, I do the same thing. It's now a tradition. I thank her for the person she was. I tell her that she will always be remembered. She was a woman with an incredible spirit. And so I tell her what I did today and how I helped carry her spirit forward and how that enriches me every day. And then the last thing I do (laughs) is I used to pat her on her butt three times (laughs) before we went to sleep, and I pat the mattress three times. (laughs) Uh, And then I can go to sleep feeling like I had a great day, and Jane was included.
1: Oh, my gosh, Bob. That is so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. And so we don't leave, leave uh, the podcast on a uh, a deeply teary and sentimental note. I want to add something <laughs> that happened. So after you got that dog, that beautiful chocolate brown poodle. Yeah. Your wedding band went missing. <laughs> and talk about traditions. You were continuing to wear your wedding band okay. and you had just taken it off. So you could shower. So you asked people in the house who helped you clean to help look for it, to check the vacuum cleaner, to check everywhere, knowing in the back of your mind, especially after we talked about it, (laughs) that there was one place that you didn't yet look. And it was possible that that beautiful poodle had eaten your wedding band.
0: That is true. She did.
1: She did. I was highly suspicious because I have had things gone missing and we've had to take the dog in for x rays. Socks. Once a cheese grater went missing and we thought that he ate it. (laughs) Fortunately, he didn't eat the cheese grater. Yeah, so then it kind of became humorous as you took the dog into the vet and shared x rays on Facebook showing your wedding band inside the stomach of your dog. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And I couldn't stop thinking that Janie would have made you throw that ring out once it was retrieved, which it was. There's no way that she would have allowed you to wear something that was actually inside (laughs) of the dog. And when you were looking for the poop and checking the poop to see if it would just come out, I I started to think, yeah, if, if the dog poops out the ring, there's no way Janie would have allowed you to continue to wear the ring. And and that was just cracking me up as you were going through all that. But you did retrieve the ring. It was cleaned. And there you're wearing it right
0: now. <laughs> you know, Susie, uh, I think I have something to say about this.
1: <laughs> what is it?
0: <laughs> so uh, I am wearing the ring. And you know... It's about that, that ring is about tradition. So it's about old and new. Both Jane and I had been previously married. And the ring I wear and the ring Jane had has three kinds of gold on it. The yellow gold was from Jane's original wedding ring. The white gold is from my original wedding ring and the pink gold was the new gold. And so the ring itself is a symbol of tradition in that you don't deny what was before, but you can make in the future what can be.
1: That is beautifully said. And you know, I forgot about your wedding band, so I'm so glad that we talked about what happened with Roxy (laughs) because that is the most beautiful story. Well, Uncle Bob, you've done it again. Thank you so much for sharing your insights and experience with celebrating tradition. I think as midlife people, we really need to be more intentional about the traditions we want to save and carry on, and the new traditions that we have an opportunity to create. When you get right down to it, it really is about celebrating life, and your kids and family members will definitely appreciate tradition. So thank you so much for sharing, and you've given us a lot to think about. Thank you. That's it for this episode. I'm sure you'll agree Bob knows how to enjoy life. He has a proven track record of taking time to be present and acknowledge life's big and little moments with the kind of love and attention that they deserve. I hope hearing this take on what simple but meaningful traditions are available to you was inspirational to you too. So much more fun can be had when you're open to celebrating life just a little bit more. And who is already making notes about their top 10 days? I love that one. While we're on the topic of reviewing what was amazing about last year, I also want you to really think about what you want to be amazing about next year. As a woman in the middle, you have so much to offer. Really think about where you wanna be this time next year. If it's not where you are right now, if you feel stuck, if you feel like life's been passing you by and you're ready to get excited about your life again, head right over to www.talktosuzie.com and apply to work together. It's just about booking a free, no obligation 10 minute call to chat and see if we're a good fit to work together to coach. Just, Just to make sure you don't have regrets. You don't want regrets. That's what this is all about. Regret proofing your life. It's just a baby step. So I can't wait to see your name in my calendar. Just do it. And if you've liked what you've heard, On today's episode, just head over to Women in the Middle podcast on iTunes and leave me a review. Check out the show notes with more information and links at www.suzyrosenstein.com. Let's do this, ladies, one scary but amazing thought, celebration, and tradition at a time. Thanks so much for listening.